Hey, welcome. It is eight minutes after the hour. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. State Representative Chuck Basie, Second Amendment supporter. He's on board with us this morning. We'll see if we can get an update on uh, the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Garson is in from Graffs. We'll find out what's going on with semi-automatic rifles uh, in lieu of what's happened in Colorado. And then uh, Dale Roberts of the CPOA. We're going to kick this off, though, uh, with a conversation I had this week uh, with uh, Dr. John Lott of More Guns, Less Crime. Uh, he and I and uh, Scott Van Kirk sat down and chatted with him earlier this week and talked about what happened in Colorado. Here, we, here it is. Former law enforcement officer, and he's also a firearms trainer. We are joined by Dr. John Lott, More Guns, Less Crime. He's got a website, crimeresearch.org. I would suggest you go there on a regular basis and subscribe to his emails. Donate, too, because this guy does a lot of great research. Dr. Lott, welcome. Glad to have you on board. Great to talk to you again, Gary. The uh, shooting in Colorado, actually the Democrats started going after guns before this incident. But now they're screaming that uh, they need to get rid of, they're calling them assault rifles. We know them as semi-automatic rifles. Uh, and they're calling for uh, more measures in terms of background checks and things like that. Is there anything that they're suggesting that would have prevented this shooting in Colorado in the grocery store? Nothing that I can see that they're suggesting. Um, you know, the one go-to that they always have is these background checks on private transfers of guns. This is what the Senate was holding a hearing on this last week uh, on Thursday. And, uh, you know, I've yet to have anybody point to one mass public shooting this century that would have been stopped if uh, such a federal law had been in place and even assuming that it had been perfectly enforced. Uh, so... But yet, you know, it doesn't stop them from raising it each time. I kind of wish uh, somebody in the media, because they are all over the place doing interviews, would go and say, okay, uh, please point to one case where it would have stopped. It. But, you know, I, you know I, my own belief is, unfortunately, I've come to the conclusion that the point of pushing these particular laws that they have is just to make it costly for law-abiding citizens to be able to go and have guns, and we can talk about that. Um, uh, I don't really, unfortunately, I've come to the belief that they're not really interested in trying to stop these types of crimes from occurring. Don't they have red flag laws in Colorado right now? Well, they, and they have the background check on private transfers, which they're claiming in D.C., uh, this week would be the solution to these things. So, uh, you know, again, first of all, they had the law in Colorado, and secondly, it wouldn't have been, it wasn't relevant in any case. Uh, and they have the red flag laws. I mean, the red flag laws itself is a misleading thing because um, you have, uh, uh, you know, people don't seem to realize that you already had laws that I think were even better to begin with, uh, to go and deal with these situations, the so-called Baker Act, where to bear, you know, different states call them in different things, where you can put a 72-hour, you know, 48-hour hold or whatever, 24-hour hold, depending on what state you're in. <clears throat> the person is evaluated <clears throat> by uh, uh, psychiatric experts, and then they have a hearing. 
but the and then determine whether or not to involuntarily commit the person uh, or a range of other things. Uh, you could even take away the person's weapons or do something else with them. Uh, the red flag laws, the only thing the red flag laws do is take away a person's guns. You know, if the notion is you think somebody's suicidal and the only solution is to go and take away a person's guns, uh, just doesn't strike me as being very serious. But the reason why the gun control people like the red flag laws and don't want to use things like these Baker Acts is because uh, in the Baker Act, uh, if, uh, if there is a hearing, uh, what happens is, is that you're allowed legal counsel. Uh, the people who put together these red flag laws systematically, time after time, leave out you getting any legal counsel. So, you know, take a simple example. Uh, you talk to lawyers involved in these types of cases, they'll tell you it'll cost about $10,000 to go and do a hearing. Well, I may want to keep my guns, but is it really worth $10,000 to me to be able to keep my guns? And the answer is, from almost everybody, the answer is going to be no. And so what you find is that virtually everybody who goes through these hearings doesn't have a lawyer with them. Um, and so you're up against lawyers on one side and the person representing himself uh, you know, doesn't have legal counsel. And uh, even despite that, about a third of the cases are are dropped at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, one could only imagine if people had legal counsel at that stage, uh, how many more would, uh, would be failed. But, uh, you know, you know, the funny thing is, is that uh, the Democrats who push for these red flag laws are very often the same people who complained that there wasn't even enough legal protections in uh, in these Baker Acts that were there, so you know it. Uh, you know, I, I suppose everybody has to make their own judgment on these things. But well, know, if anything, you know the the shooter whose name we won't mention, uh, the shooter's siblings knew that he was uh, paranoid uh, and knew that he bought this rifle and there were red flag laws they might have been able to do something if anybody's responsible besides the shooter himself it might be the family well i assume maybe the family may be able to be sued but uh you know here's the way i i look at this stuff and that is um to me a lot of this always comes across as uh monday morning quarterbacking uh maybe the guy was the case where it was obvious that he was crazy uh, beforehand, maybe all these things were correct. And and you're exactly right then, they should have availed themselves because Colorado already had a Baker Act, so they could have used that or they could have used the red flag laws. I mean, if the guy was really the danger that he's being painted for right now, I would have had him involuntarily committed. I wouldn't have just taken away his gun. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to go and do an attack and you and you take away their gun, is it really believable that they won't find some other weapon to be able to go and use in an attack? Uh, if you really believe that the guy is that type of danger, you should involuntarily commit him. But, um, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, you look at the mass public shootings over the last 20 years or so, um, about half of them 
uh, were actually seeing mental health care professionals prior to their attack. And yet in that one single case, uh, was the individual identified as either a danger to himself or a danger to somebody else? Uh, you know, and in fact, there's a whole academic literature on their inability to go and identify these individuals as dangers. Um, and, you know, you read the literature and they have all sorts of explanations. The main one is, uh, you know, people with mental illness uh, on average tend to be less violent than other people are. Uh, they're more likely to be victims of crime themselves. Uh, but because they're so rarely actually engaged in violence themselves, I mean, even if you look at something like schizophrenia, there, there's two and a half million people uh, who have schizophrenia in the United States. Uh, you know, maybe over the last 20 years, there's either one or two cases uh, where the people had schizophrenia. It's just such a rare event. If I were to go and tell you, pick uh, the 1,000 people uh, who are schizophrenic who are most likely to engage in violence. Um, you know, even if, even if the person was in that 1,000, you're going to be wrong 99 out of 999 of the cases. And so, you know, it's, uh, those are the types of trade-offs that these mental health care professionals face. But, you know, often a lot of these guys are very smart. You look at somebody like the uh, Santa Barbara killer, all right? Uh, he, uh, he was actually seeing three uh, mental health care experts, one of them uh, internationally known, the head of uh, uh, Children's Hospital, the psychiatric department for Los Angeles County. And uh, even though that person is an international expert on violence and violence by children, uh, he did not recognize this uh, person as a potential murderer or a danger to himself. All right, John, uh, I'm, I'm up against the clock. I promised you 10 minutes. Can I get you to hold on for a few more? Yeah, sure. Sorry right. if I went on too long. No, no, that's all right. We'll bring you right back. Gary on guns. Hey, welcome. It is 22 minutes after the hour. Garson is in from Graphs, graphs.com on the World Wide Web. Uh, we'll find out from him about uh, the laws of supply and demand. I think I already know. Chuck Basie, state representative on board with us, Second Amendment supporter. Dale Roberts in the CPOA. We're going to discuss this interview that Scott Van Kirk and I had with Dr. John Lott in a, just a few minutes. So let's continue with Dr. Lott. You just turned the radio on. Dr. John Lott, author of More Guns, Less Crime. CrimeResearch.org is his website. We highly recommend it. Uh, it has He has just done tons of great research. Donate if you can, because that's how he gets the research done. John, welcome back. We were talking about the Colorado shooting. And after listening to you in the first segment, I, I got the feeling that there's really not much we can do about the kinds of incidents that we're talking about. No, I disagree. I mean, uh, to me, the big thing to do is to have people on the scene there who can stop these types of attacks. Um, you know... One thing we have on our website at crimeresearch.org is we have two uh, things. One is showing um, mass public shootings that keep on occurring in gun-free zones. Overwhelmingly, about 94% of the mass public shootings occur in places where guns are banned. But the second thing that we show is that the not successful mass public shootings uh, 
keep on occurring in places where people with permanent concealed handguns stop them. And, uh, you know, maybe one thing to do is to try to encourage more people to carry and to have uh, concealed handguns with them. Look, anybody who's read my research, my academic research, knows that I think police are extremely important in stopping crime. I think police are the single most important factor for stopping crime. Um, but uh, police themselves know that they virtually always arrive on the crime scene after the crime occurred. Or if you're talking about police stopping these types of mass public shootings, they have an incredibly difficult job. If you have one, one police officer in an area and uh, it's a gun-free zone and somebody's going to attack, who's the first person that they're going to go after? It's going to be the police officer. Having an officer in uniform and arm uh, is kind of like somebody in that case having a neon sign above them that says, shoot me first. So they have an incredibly difficult job that's there. Uh, if you have people with permanent concealed handguns, it actually makes the job of the officer safer because, uh, you know, uh, if the attacker goes after the officer, they reveal their position and they have to worry whether somebody behind them or to the side, somebody that they don't know is there, somebody that they can't even uh, see beforehand may be able to go and stop them. Uh, it makes their attack much riskier. And, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, so I, I think there is something to do. Look, would it be nice to identify everybody who might be a danger with the mental health stuff that we were talking about before? Sure, that would be awesome to be able to do that. But unless you're pretty confident that you're going to be able to do that, the question is, what do you do when you can't identify these individuals? And, you know, and one of the things uh, we have at our website also is uh, comparing the United States to other countries in terms of mass public shootings. And what you find is that the United States has a lot fewer mass public shootings relative to other countries. Uh, the United States makes about 4.6% of the world population, and yet we have less than 1% of the world's mass public shooters. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, uh, there are many countries in Europe that have much higher rates than we do. Uh, it, they just don't get attention. Um, and it's true across the world uh, that you see this. Uh, outside of Europe, you have even higher rates. But, I mean, we're, we're, you know, a little bit more than a fifth of the rate for the average for the rest of the world in terms of the rate of mass public shootings. Uh, France, for example, I'll just mention France. France in one year, 2015, had more casualties from mass public shootings in just one year than the United States had during the entire eight years of the Obama presidency. Uh, had 532 casualties in, the, in France versus 527 in the United States. Uh, Russia has a mass public shooting rate that's like 50% higher than the rate that we have here in the United States. You don't hear about these things. I mean, they have... Uh, university shootings and stuff. And I'm not, I'm not including things like the Cheshnan rebels going and shooting people. I mean, there you have like that one uh, uh, school shooting, I think 2004, where there was like 478 people killed in it. I'm not, I'm not including that. I'm talking about ones like a year ago when you had that guy uh, walk into that technical university and, and shoot 20 people. 
Um, you know, those are the types of cases. It was a student. Uh, and he was very similar profile to the types of school shootings that you have in the United States. These keep on occurring over and over again in these other countries. You know, people hear about the New Zealand shooting, uh, but the thing they don't hear about is like within 24 hours of the New Zealand shooting, there was a big school shooting in Brazil. Does anybody hear about that? And there was a big, within 24 hours, there was this, a mass public shooting in the Netherlands. Um, you know, when these cases from other countries do get coverage, it's usually a small story buried in the back of the newspaper and it doesn't register in anybody's consciousness. If you just turn the radio on, Dr. John Lott is on board with us on Gary on Guns, uh, crimeresearch.org, uh, the place to go to keep up with uh, what's going on in the firearms world and Second Amendment world. Scott Van Kirk, of course, is with us. You know, it seems to me that when I go to a store and I see a sign that says no firearms allowed, if they really wanted to be safe, they would probably have a sign on the door that says, we allow concealed carry permit holders and encourage them in our store. Oh, exactly. Look, if I was a school, even if I didn't have teachers that carry, I would have a sign there that tell people that would tell people that teachers carried guns. I would say, you know, some unknown teachers here uh, are carrying guns. But, you know, instead, some of the schools uh, that do allow teachers to carry, you know, don't want anybody to know that the teachers are carrying. And that just seems to me to kind of defeat the whole point that's there. You want to make it risky for these people. Look, just as higher arrest rates or higher conviction rates or longer prison sentences make it risky for criminals to commit crime and deter them from doing it, the fact that victims might be able to go and defend themselves also makes it riskier for criminals to go and commit crime. Well, John, it's it's been established that re regardless of what mental issues or neurosis or just plain evil uh, these actors engage in, they're cognitive enough to differentiate between what would be an easy free fire kill zone and what would be a hard zone. I think we saw that in the, what was it, the, the Batman movie theater uh, killing out in Colorado a few years ago. Yeah, uh -huh. we've seen this over, anybody who who seriously looks at this stuff sees this over and over again. You know, in the Batman movie theater shooting, uh, we have the guy's diary. It's clear that the guy was cognizant of whether or not people might be able to stop him. People with guns might be able to stop him at different venues. So we'll talk, we'll talk about this interview and a whole bunch more coming up. Gary and Guns on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. 35 minutes after the hour, Garson is in from Graphs.com. Graphs is in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, I endorse them because I've been to their store, and they generally they've got a little bit of everything, or maybe a whole lot of everything. We used to could, yeah, you used to could, uh, but now, man, uh, the 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 race is on. Everybody is buying everything out. We'll talk to you about that in a minute. Uh, we have Chuck Basie, state representative, Second Amendment supporter, on bo on board with us this morning. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, later this morning get an update on the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Chuck, welcome. Uh, good morning. And uh, then we have Dale Roberts on board, CPOA, uh, and uh, Dale has, uh, you know, he's got the he's got the legal aspect of all of this, and we're going to talk to him about some challenges at the Supreme Court dealing with the Second Amendment. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. Well, you know, as I was listening uh, to uh, John Lott, he he didn't actually get to a point where, at least in the first segment. He's talking about solutions. So I 
came back and said, well, you know, based on what you're saying, it doesn't look as though there's anything you can do. And his response was, oh, no, yeah, you can do something. Essentially, what he said was, carry a gun. More people should carry a gun. Um, but, Dale, I, I, as much as I think it's a great idea to carry a gun, I don't know how you encourage people to do this. I, I'd be afraid to, to, to promote, you know, go out and buy a gun and carry uh, because somebody might feel obligated to carry a gun based on that kind of promotion that really shouldn't be carrying a gun. They're afraid of it. They're uh, not comfortable with it. They could, I don't know, it, it, there's, I would think that everybody who wants to carry is carrying. I would hope so. Yeah, and I think you're right, Gary, and you raise a good point. And I, I was just during the break, you know, we were talking about the concealed carry class that I do every year for the legislature. And invariably, we'll have at least one or two legislators who sit in on the CCW class just to see what the heck's going on. What are, they, what are these gun nuts talking about? And invariably, every session, we have one or two legislators who, at the end of the concealed carry class, go, you know, I think I'm actually going to go ahead and get my permit. Um, and so there may be some people who don't carry who would if they knew more. Um, but you're right. I, I don't want to tell somebody, hey, get a gun, if they're not going to be informed and trained and responsible. Yeah. By the way, when you teach that course, do you take them to the course and let them fire a gun? Oh, yes. It's a, it's a full state. Uh, it meets all the state requirements. It exceeds the state requirements considerably. So it's about a four-hour classroom session and a good four hours on the range. And I have to give a plug. We take the legislators up to Green Valley Rifle Pistol Club and the fine folks at Green Valley, and I'm a member there, allow us to come on the range with the legislators and shoot for free. They waive all the fees because it's for the legislature, and I think that's a good cause. So, yes, they get they do their range time. It is my favorite place to shoot. Of all places, that is my favorite place to shoot. Um, so, uh, Garson, um, if somebody comes into graphs that's never fired a gun before, I don't know, how do you guys sort of get them to find the right weapon? You know, for me, there was some trial and error uh, involved, and I, I does that happen with everybody, or, you know, is there a way to shortcut and say, here's the gun that's best for you, try, you know, how do you do that without them going out and shooting it? Well, it really depends on how serious they are about owning a firearm. You know, some people just come in, they want a gun, oh, yeah, this one feels good, I'll take it, and they're done. You know, they may shoot it, they may not even shoot it, they load it up throw it in a drawer by their bed and, and they're done with it and they think they've covered all their bases so those people yeah i don't know i don't know how many of those people are out there um but i i don't think that anyone gets the perfect gun for them the first time out um because a lot of people they're like well you know i i just need a gun um i don't want to spend six hundred dollars on this on this gun i'll just i'll just get this three hundred dollar gun because that's you know, they don't understand the difference between, you know, an entry-level gun, a mid-level gun, or even a high-end gun. They, there's, no, there's no way to separate that for them in their mind until they've actually had enough experience with a gun to see the differences in other guns. 
So that's the hardest thing to overcome because that's not something you can impart to them without them physically experiencing it um, over a longer period of time. You know, Chuck, that happened to me. I was uh, in Columbia at, at a gun show, and I got a deal on a 9 millimeter semi-automatic, brand new, in the box. And I thought, well, you know, it looks hey, those fine. Are, those are great drop guns. Uh, it was... Um, <laughs> I'm not going to mention the brand, but it was it was made in Ohio, if that helps. <laughs> and, uh, boy, when when uh, the guys on the gun show found out what I had purchased, they, they I think for like four years they laughed at that purchase. Uh, I found out what was wrong with the gun, uh, which was uh, practically everything. I It would jam up constantly. Um, I turned around and brought it back to the gun show and sold it to somebody else. Now, for for what they sell for, that's about as good as gun as you can get in that price range. You know who I'm talking about. I, I do. Okay. Because I've laughed at you for it before, too. But, you know, if, if you're on a budget, that is definitely better than owning, you know, nothing. Not much. I, I will tell you that, you know, if it, I, I, if it I'd doesn't say the go boom. Yeah, I'd say we, the example you got was an extremely bad case even for them um i i do know i do know a few people that have those still and and they're and they're not as bad as the one you had and i believe one of the law enforcement agencies around the lake actually issues their carbine um as a duty rifle yeah they they may have improved their quality but chuck there's nothing more disappointing than getting a click when you're expecting a boom as a good friend of mine used to always yeah, say right and you know when when uh, my wife decided to get a pistol actually I was going to buy her one for uh, a, a gift we went to one of the local gun stores and I had her uh, you know feel some out you know she she was uh, I wanted to make sure what we ended up buying was comfortable for her grip and uh, that's how we ended up doing or, or getting one for my wife and uh, but I, I think that's very, very important point. You know, you want to make sure that it's uh, a quality weapon. And I think it's also important that it, it you know, fits well in somebody's hand because we're all different in, in a lot of respects. Yeah, a lot of uh, people who are listening to the program right now looking for information are first-time gun owners. We know this, Garson, because uh, nobody, and I do mean nobody, can keep guns or ammo in stock. Uh, and I'm curious, with this most recent assault on the uh, AR-15s and AK-47 semi-automatic rifles, whether or not you're seeing another surge in demand for those. Oh, yeah. Um, once this latest um, round of gun control talk started heating up, uh, we got cleaned out on the, the stuff we did have in stock. Um, you know, we, we were doing fairly well in mag, uh, Magpul and ProMag stuff. Um, you know, magazines and whatnot. The last couple, um, eh, the last couple months, we had a fair amount in stock, but um, yeah, Wednesday morning, um, it was almost all gone. Wow! Didn't take long for that to kick in. Uh, Chuck, in a few minutes, I'm going to get to you and uh, try and find out where we stand on the Second Amendment Preservation Act. I, th I think I'm hearing some good things, but we'll find out. Let me go to the phones here and get Mike. On the line, Mike. Welcome. Glad to have you on Gary and Guns. How are you? I'm fine, guys. How you doing? Doing well. Hey, uh, I hope this isn't a stupid question, but some people say the only stupid question is the one you don't ask. That's true. I have, I, I have a buddy that we go through scenario things. I've talked to this before, and this is a question about showing your weapon. 
Uh, we were talking like if you're driving down the road and somebody's driving crazy behind you, it looks like they're trying to run off the road and all that. He said he'd just show him his gun. I said, "Nah, man, you you, you call nine one one and just drive like crazy." But if you show your gun, and he might have one and fire on you, and from behind you, he's in a better position to do so. And that just kind of brought me around to, you know, not showing your gun unless you're going to use it. And I thought if you guys have just a couple seconds to give me your opinion of that. I was, I was actually in that situation, Mike. Really? Uh, who'd you make mad? My wife and I were driving back from uh, Ohio, and I think we were in Indiana at the time. And some woman just started going crazy on the road, and she had a friend in a truck in a, in a second vehicle. And we called 911. I, I did uh, get my firearm out, but I didn't show it. I, I just, uh, just in case the worst happened. But I'm telling you, they were tag teaming us uh, going up the highway, getting in front of us and slowing down, moving alongside us, trying to bo- box us in. Um, we called 911, and then what we did is we pulled up in front of a tractor trailer and then just stayed close enough to him that, that uh, they couldn't get between us and sandwich us in. Um, and then we just stayed right there. We didn't try to out, uh, outrun them. Uh, we didn't show our firearm. Uh, it frustrated them, and they got off the highway. And it, to this day, neither Gwen nor I know what the hell that was all about yeah so, wow so i would have been out there fellas so dale uh would you agree don't show the firearm oh i would never ever show it under those circumstances i think you people uh, could argue that that's brandishing which is an, a criminal offense um you know be prepared but i wouldn't show it or wave it at anybody and i would also say that i don't think it's uncommon for women to go crazy when they see you gary and <laughs> attribute well, that it's true i am dashingly handsome well, whatever causes it I... yeah, brian has that nasty cough i think he's got covid all right so that's that's my best advice mike and i think it's pretty good okay all right thanks guys thanks buddy take care glad to have you on carry on guns Back with more phone calls, we'll talk with Chuck Basie about the Second Amendment Preservation Act. We'll find out what Garson has brought on board. All coming up on Gary on Guns on Hot Talk, 93.9 The Eagle. Hey, it's 51 minutes after the hour. State Representative Chuck Basie is on board with us. We've also got Dale Roberts, the CPOA, and Garson is in from Graphs. Uh, there is a story that uh, I'm going to go over with Dale because uh, it, it really uh, does involve... Uh, Police action. It's gone to the Supreme Court. Uh, we will uh, we'll chat about this uh, in a few minutes. But I I, I kind of want to start this off uh, now with uh, the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Chuck, where does it stand? Well, it appears to be moving. The Senate is going to have a hearing on uh, Jared Taylor's uh, House Bill eighty five, and that's this coming Tuesday at uh, at noon or up on the Senate recess. And uh, that's going to be in Senate Committee Room 1. That's in the northeast side of the Capitol building on the first floor. And um, any citizens welcome to go in and uh, watch or testify on behalf of that bill, either for or against. Or you can submit uh, testimony online. Just go to the Senate website. And uh, if you just click on the hearings tab and scroll down to the uh, general laws hearing, then you can find uh, how you can do that. So uh, very pleased with that. I know Dale's been active with... Um, uh, a couple of senators on working on uh, some modifications on the language, 
And uh, it looks very promising for uh, that bill and a couple others, as a matter of fact. Uh, that same day, Adam Schnelting has the uh, House Bill 52 that's going to be heard in the Senate, uh, same Senate hearing, and that's for uh, allowing people with concealed carry permits to carry on public transportation. So I think that's a very good bill as well. Uh, Dale, what are you hearing? Anything good? Oh, yes, absolutely. I uh, actually I had some officers contact me, and I don't speak on behalf of the CPOA on this issue, but, but I did have some officers who were concerned about the Second Amendment Preservation Act and its prohibitions against uh, you know, supporting and interacting with the feds. And I told them, you know, I know the bill sponsor. He'll talk to you if you want to tell him your concerns. So we, I took three street crimes officers from CPD down to the Capitol one evening, and we spent a little over five hours uninterrupted, just the three cops, me, and the senator who sponsors it in the, on the Senate side. And they went through every single potential concern they might have. And he listened, and he explained his position. And on some things, he said, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I'll change that. And on some things he explained, well, no, you know, as long as you are not infringing the Second Amendment rights of a law-abiding citizen, and it's defined, um, then, of course, you can continue to work with the ATF and go after gun thugs and illegal activity. That's, we want you to do that. So it was really productive. And then uh, Wednesday of this week, a similar meeting was held in the President Pro Tem's office, Senator Schatz's office, and that was Senator Schatz, Senator Luchtmeier, Senator Burleson, who is the Senate sponsor, Jared Taylor, the House sponsor, me, a couple of their chiefs of staff, and a handful of representatives of different law enforcement agencies um, to, again, work through concerns from the law enforcement community, and they were addressed. So hopefully it's been really, really refined um, interestingly, you know, the Second Amendment Preservation Act in Missouri passed in 2013. That version was much more, was much stricter and, and perhaps more uh, constraining on law enforcement than this one. Um, was supported by the law enforcement community and, of course, Governor Nixon vetoed it. But so uh, hopefully it's going to move. Well, um, the... Uh the, the president is alleging, allegedly going to sign some anti-gun executive orders pretty soon. We'll, we don't know exactly what those are. Uh, Coniglia v. Strom, you're familiar with that one, Dale? Uh, not by name, if you uh, tell me the facts. This fact. is the uh, case where the guy uh, put a gun on the table when he was arguing with his wife and said, just shoot me now. Oh, yes, yes. Um, that's uh, that's kind of, you know, the more details I got about this, the more interesting it is. We'll talk about that in the next hour. And then, of course, uh, we'll find out what Garson has brought from uh, Graf's in Mexico, Missouri. But first, let me grab uh, a phone call here. Uh, Gary, welcome. Glad to have you on Gary on Guns. Good morning, Gary. Um, I'd like to, to thank Senator Basie and, and actually the entire legislature for what they're doing with regard to this subject. But also, uh, they need congratulations for what they're doing for voter uh you know, the voter rules and, and voter ID and all that kind of thing. I think there's been some good legislation this year. Also, I'd like to, for Gary Nolan and, and for the senator, I'd like uh, a future topic of discussion to be uh, what's going on with the university because they're, they're actively pushing 
1619 project and critical race theory and stuff like that. I, I, I know that this is your gun show and I don't want to, you know, open up that can of worms, but I'd like to introduce that as a potential topic for the future. Yeah, that would be a weekday show, and I'd certainly be glad to bring Representative Basie back on for that. Uh, Chuck, I, I think uh, I think you just got a pat on the back. Yeah, I appreciate the promotion. Um, I might have trouble getting out of the room today because my head swelled up when he called me senator, but I appreciate it. But I, I'm a state rep, and I'm just having fun with Gary. But, uh, yeah, I'd be glad, uh, glad to talk about that. That critical race theory is coming up. Uh, I'm the chair of the uh, House Education Committee. And uh, it is uh, already incorporated in some school districts in Missouri, and uh, they're toying with the idea here in Columbia as well. So, so, so that would be Eric versus Eric versus Chuck? Caniglia <laughs> 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 v. Storm. Strom. Uh, we'll chat about that, find out what Garson has on board, and whether or not President Trump paved the way for President Biden. To screw with your <laughs> Second Amendment rights. Gary on Guns, Hot Talk 93.9 The